Restoration Radio Network. I am Stephen Heiner, and welcome. And I'm happy to welcome back our full strength crew, back from the flu and uh, back from uh, regular, his, uh, a little bit of a, a mini vacation. Uh, his Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, where the weather is always warm, and Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency, Father, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Wish I were in Florida at this point. Don't don't we all at some point when it's really, I often really cold. say that. <laughs> this episode is the case for all of our non-sponsored episodes is free for the first 15 minutes to non-members. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit restorationradionetwork.com. Go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. If you are not a member and would like to purchase an individual episode such as this one, go to restorationradionetwork.com, navigate to the available episode of your choice, and simply click the links below the player on the page. After completing your purchase, you'll be emailed a secure download link. Uh, We're going to start the episode, as we always do, with uh, unfinished business from our last episode, but really... There's there's no unfinished business like getting back to the regular heresy of the month or heresy of the week, as it might be. And before we started the show, Bishop Sanborn made the point that there might be no hell to pay. Uh, we, might, we might have to remove that phrase under the Bergolian watch. And he's referring to, uh, again, one of these Scalfari, Eugenio Scalfari interviews, uh, I think, Your Excellency, was that the one that produced No Catholic God? I don't know. It just, uh, you know, in looking at, uh, I don't know if this is a different interview. This no, is it's, it's, it's a more reporting recent one. on an interview. It's but a it more Scalfari, recent one. Scalfari oh, okay. brought us the No Catholic God phrase, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, yes, that's correct. And then this interview is actually from March 15th, and it wasn't really picked up by uh, anyone until uh, about uh, two weeks later. I uh, got notice of it from a a conservative priest who uh, came across it. It wasn't translated into English originally. It just appeared in Italian March 15th in La Repubblica. Well, and the the, uh, the Novus Ordo uh, cleric in question is Father Brian Harrison, who Father Chicada has had, I think, some friendly contacts with over the years, correspondence about, uh, shall we say, disagreements on issues. And um, I, I guess I'm interested, Father, why is why is uh, Father Harrison translating this, and what was his takeaway from this? And obviously, we have to look at the Italian and the, the translation you were provided. Well, he uh, was uh, actually quite upset by it and, uh, you know, lamenting the fact that, well, uh, the Holy Father could uh, possibly say something like this, and uh, unfortunately it is heresy. Uh, And uh, he was spreading word of this uh, around to his uh, friends and and, uh, associates, simply, I suppose, just, uh, uh, just lamenting it. The fact that that uh, here we go again with another Francis interview. So that was basically the uh, that was basically the tenor of his um, uh, the tenor of his his circular letter. Uh, the as I say, it didn't uh, receive any coverage that uh, that I know of until after Father Harrison brought it up, and uh, word got out sort of slowly, I guess. 
Well, as uh, as Bishop Sanborn said, there there might be no hell to pay. Can you clarify the exact position of France? And and did 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 Father Harrison use the H word in describing this, or was that your takeaway from it? No, it was it was his um, uh, uh, it was his phrase that in effect it's a denial of hell. But the uh, interview that um, uh, Francis gave to uh, uh, Scalfari uh, cover, covered a number of topics of uh, interest to uh, people who supposedly had no religion at all, and uh, the issue of, of punishment came up. And the issue of hell came up, and uh, Scalfari asked the question, well, uh, will the uh, non-believers uh, be punished, or those who, who do evil be punished, uh, in effect forever in hell? And Bergoglio's response uh, to it was that, uh, no, uh, they in fact will be annihilated. They won't uh, participate in the uh, banquet of the kingdom of heaven. That there's no punishment, but rather that the soul is is uh, annihilated, and those who are not all annihilated participate in living in the presence of of God. Uh, uh, the souls that are are destroyed or annihilated won't take part in the banquet. Well, so that that was the statement reported. For, for our listeners, if you you this is a radio show, so you can't see what I'm doing right now as I'm slowly backing away from my desk. Because I'm trying to imagine what would happen to any pulpit that's going to feature Bishop Sanborn when he preaches on this. Because what's going to happen is that finger is going to go straight through the pulpit, and we'll have to get a new one. Um, because this is not something that uh, the Bishop Sanborn would be uh, very pleased about hearing. And, but it's just another part of our catalog of a heresy. So I'm, I'm backing away from the desk, uh, Your Excellency, if you'd, you'd like to take this on. Yes, and you know there was another heresy in this. He says that that those who even lack the faith, but who have been nice to other people, you know, who have loved others, you know, good guys, but who don't have the faith will still go to heaven. He says, according to Scalfari, faith helps, but it's not absolutely necessary as long as you've been nice, you've been good to others. <laughs> This, All right, this so that statement. is itself a heresy, too, because without faith you can't be justified. As St. Paul says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And so, uh, and you, there's no charity without faith. So you, it's all full of heresy. But this is uh, a blatant, the denial of hell, and the, uh, the idea of annihilation of souls, that, and that souls that are in the state of mortal sin will not, uh, go to hell for eternity and burn are uh, is a uh, a distinct and clear heresy. It is contrary to the uh, Council of Florence, the solemn definition of the Council of Florence, which said, moreover, the souls of those who depart in actual mortal sin or in original sin only descend immediately into hell, but to undergo punishments of different kinds. And then the Athanasian Creed, which is solemn magisterium, said, At his coming, all men have to arise again with their bodies, which Ratzinger denies, and will render an account of their own deeds. And those who have done good will go into life everlasting, but those who have done evil into eternal fire. So that, that's as strong as the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Um, 
Benedict XII in 1336 said, with apostolic authority we declare that according to the common arrangement of God, the souls of those who depart in actual mortal sin immediately after their death descend into hell, where they are tortured by infernal punishments, and that nevertheless on the day of judgment all men with their bodies will make themselves ready to render an account of their own deeds before the tribunal of Christ. Uh, uh, the Council of Lions, in four, uh, uh, the First Council of Lions, uh, said, Moreover, if anyone without repentance dies in mortal sin, without a doubt he is tortured forever by the flames of eternal hell. Innocent III declared, The punishment of original sin is a deprivation of the vision of God, but the punishment of actual sin is the torments of everlasting hell. So these are just a few. Uh, of the of the declarations uh, concerning hell, so this is this is the same thing as denying the Trinity, which he already did, and denying the the Blessed Sacrament, and you know he never speaks about that and won't genuflect to it. Uh, uh, so you know, this is a blatant heresy. This is not an error or something that you know needs definition. This is a defined doctrine of the Catholic Church, and he has denied it. So. Uh, that's what makes it so troubling, I think, for the Novus Ordo conservatives, is, uh, as I said to Father Chicada earlier today, the prosecution rests its case. We, are, we come in and say, Francis is a heretic. Here's the evidence. He denied a, a doctrine of the Catholic Church, a defined doctrine of the Catholic Church. There it is. Now the ball's in your court. And uh, even uh, I was reading the correspondence of Father Harrison. He, he said, you know, there's no sensitivity to this. It's as if, well, so what if he denied it? And I think that's a very important development with the Novus Ordo conservatives, is that they are numb to it. That's the, the, the path they have chosen to take is numbness, that this is so bad and it is so destructive of their system that they have to just, pass over it, and it doesn't exist for them. So, uh... Father uh, Chicago, uh, do you, have, you yes. have anything to add to that? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, when you go to the Council of Florence, there's not too much I can say. But, it, it again, just to reaffirm that, it is so absolutely clear. Uh, I went again and looked up the citations myself and and the uh it is so clear that this is a catholic teaching and that is is it's a divine and catholic faith it is defined and that to uh reject it uh, or to uh, call it into question to doubt it is is heresy i don't know what more one what more proof one could offer yes I, as but usual, I do this think that's a, a, a significant development uh, with the with the Novus Ordo conservatives. That, uh, they have lost their idea of dogma, and uh, the the modernists have uh, been successful in establishing a dogmaless church, even among the Novus Ordo conservatives. That dogma doesn't matter. Uh, Francis can say anything; he has a license to say anything. It doesn't matter anymore. And the only thing that matters is that we have a niche in which to have Latin and incense and nice vestments. That's all that matters. And, you know, that's what they would call working from within. (laughs) 
Uh, I, I, and they they achieve the Novus Order conservatives achieve absolution from being in communion with this heretic by suffering. That is, they think, oh, 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 this is terrible. Oh, we have to put up with this. When will it stop? And as long as they go through a suffering over these heresies that are coming out from what should be the 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 uh, the, the mother of truth, that is Rome, uh, these heresies, these blatant heresies, uh, if they suffer through it, they, they feel that they are doing their part. Um, I, uh, I had uh, sent an email to Father Jakarta earlier in the week that this was a, a five-eye roller. That means that this is, you know, it's like a five-star heresy. That means the Novus Ordo conservative has to roll his eyes five times in order to clear himself of any guilt of being in communion with Bergoglio. That is, he has to think, oh, this is terrible, five times, and, and suffer from it five times in order to absolve himself. That's, that's their case now. That, that is their that's, condition. That's, that's quite a visual. I don't, is there a rubric to that? Do you go to the left twice and then back to the right three times, as with, as with incense? Um, I was trying yeah, to, to make do sure that. You do it right. I was trying to do that. Be witnesses to it. It gives it gives it gives a new uh, new meaning to the idea swivel eyed loony, I suppose. Um, (laughs) Well, but these are the people who are always saying to us, "You are not working from within. You're 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 you've left, and you you're you're just doing damage where you are. We're you're trying to solve this from within." And what are they doing? How are they solving it? They work every day with it. They they offer the Novus Ordo Mass. They're in communion with the, this her, heretical hierarchy. What are they doing to solve it besides a pretty vestment, incense, and Latin? And in fact, that's not solving it at all because it is it is a... Uh, temptation for many people to say, well, nothing has changed because I have this little niche of incense and and pretty vestments in Latin. And now Bergoglio has a 95% approval rating from U.S. Catholics. So that means the amount of people that are, say, rolling their eyes is 5% at the most. Which is well, pretty I, I think you're actually you're you're one of those people who, uh, to quote to quote a phrase, desires no impious uh, uh, communion with the ungodly. Uh, <laughs> a, a, that was a, a phrase lifted from from a letter uh, from someone who is now a colleague of yours in the Episcopate. So, um, since you desire no impious communion with the ungodly, you have to you have to point this out. Now, for those who are quite comfortable with impious communion with the ungodly. I suppose we have to talk about the Germans, and specifically our our friend uh, Cardinal Casper, and the German bishops uh, of which he is he is one. Um, we have two reference points here. First is Casper's quote that Francis represents a paradigm shift, and the quote reads: uh, "Such a paradigm shift can give rise to irritation and misunderstanding." as though it suggested that what has been uh, written previously no longer stands, Casper wrote. If it is understood correctly, however, the paradigm shift does not change the content of what has been valid up to now,
but the perspective and the horizon from which it is seen and understood. So uh, another take on the idea of substantial anchorages. We've seen this play before. And the German bishops chime in to basically say what uh, another take on this. So if we're not changing things, we're just looking at things from a new perspective. Even if we are looking at things from a new perspective, it's still up to us as to whether we're going to listen. And the quote uh, came from a Cardinal Marx, I suppose appropriately named. Doctrinally, one would remain within the community of the universal church, but in detailed questions of pastoral care, the synod cannot prescribe in detail what we must do in Germany. I don't even know if we need to read any more than that. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it Well, there's there. a lot in there. Uh, first of all, that business of horizons, I learned that in the 1960s. All right, you know, the the uh, it's just another it's just over uh, the rainbow, isn't it? Tired old attempt to explain evolution of dogma. That is translation we're going to trash the old dogmas and bring in new ones, but we're going to say that we're we have new horizons. That's all it means. I mean, it's all it's all just a lot of nonsense and and, and uh you know, pure pure horse feathers. That's all it is. Uh, and, so, uh, I mean, we, underlying it is is uh, the uh, assumption that well, it's all just relative anyway, and mm-hmm. you can't get at absolute truth or understand uh, a dogma in a definitive way. And uh, it's it just depends on where you're standing to look at it. That's the idea of the paradigm shift. When it, whenever you hear that. Uh, you know exactly what you're going to get. Yeah, and as far as the German bishops, the uh, yeah, Germany has a, a strong history of uh, independence from Rome. It goes back to the 18th century with uh, a Fabronius, a bishop. That wasn't his real name. As a matter of fact, that was the name of his mistress. His mistress was called Febronia. So he took as his pseudonym Febronius. And uh, he uh, wanted the Pope to be something like a Queen Elizabeth, that is, uh, you know, somebody sitting in Rome, uh, presiding over the church. But the bishop had all the the, uh, power and, of course, you know, uh, national bishops' conferences and all. I mean, he didn't use that word, but that was the idea. Uh, An Episcopal church had all the power. Uh, And so they, in the 19th century, too, they uh, were, uh, you know, not the most papal of, of bishops. Uh, and don't forget that those countries were always plagued by the state nominating bishops. Uh, and, the, and Rome would not in most cases. Uh, but, you know, when the, when a, 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 and the states were either anti-Catholic or they were, uh, they had the idea of control of the church. But in, in any case, I mean, they, these were not pious Catholics who were appointing bishops. And so uh, Germany has this uh, this tradition of, of that sort of thing, and so it's really nothing new for them. Uh, I think they are. I think this whole thing of Francis is a response to Hans Kung's call for a an Episcopal revolution against <laughs> Rome, quote unquote. Uh, the uh, you know as if as if Ratzinger's Rome you know was was uh, you know the same thing as the Rome of Pius V, uh, but that that things had not gotten far enough and that that Ratzinger was dr- dragging his feet in this whole thing, 
and that the bishops have to take things into their own hands and just do what they think is right. Uh, I think this is it. Uh, he, he told all the bishops just to rise up and revolt, and I, I think this is it. And they're going to do whatever they please in Germany, and, and Bergoglio is going to do nothing about it. One, one other uh, point that came up in both the Casper uh, statement and in the Marx statement is uh, this uh, is the following. Casper um, uh, says, for instance, the Pope's emphasis on mercy is the fundamental interpretive principle, denotes a paradigm shift from a deductive method to a method of see, judge, act. And then you get the same thing from... Um, is that like the, the three same? monkeys? Yeah, or Larry Moan Curley. Uh, the so the idea is that you do not um, uh, act on the basis of, of uh, theological principles that uh, that are, are 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 based on what God has revealed, but you look around in the world and society, and you derive your. Uh, method of action and how you look at reality and how you look at religion from what you see around you. So everything is ends up being turned on its head. So that's that's uh, that's also part of this paradigm shift and that's what you see in the statements of Marx and of Casper. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's 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 modernism it's as old as the model T. Yeah. And uh, it's all in Pascendi and um uh, it's just nothing new. You know, I was reading a, a book recently by Dom Bress that was written maybe 110 years ago about liberal Catholicism. He was a Benedictine. And he said something very interesting, which I never thought of. He said the, the liberal is someone, uh, the, and especially the liberal Catholic, is someone who is ready to adapt to anything that happens. He says it's like an attitude or a mentality. It's not a doctrine. That whatever comes down the pike, whatever modern society delivers, well, we have to somehow accept it and adapt to it. That that is the mentality of the liberal. So they are ready, really, to accept anything. And and the it is that liberal Catholicism that triumphed at Vatican II and triumphed in in John the Twenty Third. And it means hitching the 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 wagon of the church to the horses of modern society, to the horses of modernity. And, you know, they can go pretty far. Um, you know, who knows what's... You know, modernity would like to deny Catholicism altogether and would like to completely transform the Church into something that is totally unrecognizable, as, as if we're not there already, but yet more unrecognizable in comparison to its past before Vatican II. So that's that's the attitude we're looking at here, and you know they say it differently, and it's you know it's wrapped in different uh, you know, wrapper every time, and but it's all the same garbage. Next item we want to cover, you've alluded to already, Your Excellency, is the fact that Francis's popularity is very high. The, the key thing from this poll was seven in ten adults see the Pope favorably up 13 points from his election two years ago. And I, I, can I ask this in the context of you were both alive uh, during the time of John the Twenty Third? Is there a similarity between John the Twenty Third's popularity and Francis, or would you say Francis is even more popular than John the Twenty Third was? 
John the Twenty Third was very popular, but he was popular for the same reasons. Uh, I don't think uh, he could have gotten away with what Francis is doing, because Vatican II had not taken place. People were still pretty conservative. I think if he had come out and said there was no hell, I, I think there would have been a strong reaction. But uh, it's definitely the the same spirit and idea was there, and that is we should open windows. That was his big thing. Opening the windows of the church and a giornamento, that we have to update the church. It's all the same principle as Bergoglio. Uh, it's just that he understood the limits of what he could say and do. Uh, but the that same principle was alive in many Catholics at the time, that yes, the church is outdated in its attitudes, it needs to become more modern. Finally, there's a pope that's going to do this. I think it's very similar, but it's just not so extreme. That's all. Well, uh, one of the things that Francis has said that, that may or, or may not um, make him popular among U.S. Uh, people has been his his comment on what has been the, the issue in, in Mexico. And no, he's not talking about the Mexicanization of anything. That, that was a, another comment. But he was talking about what's happening in Latin America with the defection of Catholics to Protestant sects. And he has a very simple reflection on this. Um, Francis says, in Latin America, a strong clericalism creates a certain distance from people. Clericalism in Latin America has been one of the biggest obstacles to the growth of the, of the laity. The laity in Latin America grew only thanks to popular piety, which the Pope says has given the opportunity to lay people to be creative and free through worship, processions, etc. But organizationally, the laity has not grown enough and has not grown because of a clericalism that creates distance. So I have two parts to this question, uh, Your Excellency and Father. Uh, you you work with uh, yourself, clergy who come from South America, so I think you have some perspective as to whether this, the premise is actually true is it true that there is a strong clericalism in Latin America, even in the Novus Ordo Church? And then can you, again, pull apart and deconstruct what this means that lay people have not had the opportunity to grow? What's the code here? Well, I would respond with another question, and that would be what planet is Bergoglio living on? <laughs> <laughs> because the uh, idea somehow that the uh, problem that the Novus Ordo Church is experiencing in uh, South America is the um, consequence of, of a clericalism and a, uh, implicitly some sort of a pre-Vatican II mentality uh, among the clergy in South America is completely crazy. The uh, church in South America uh, went almost universally to the left uh, after the Second Vatican Council, with all the the, the um, uh, uh, different assemblies, the uh, Salem uh, uh, Bishops Conference assemblies, and the the di different programs that, that uh, catered to all of the the premises of modernism and the premises of, of the left for a laicized church. If anything, it was declericalized, and what he's facing now is a giant flop. How he can say that? Well, uh, it's it's the church in South America is is still clerical is something that is uh, uh, you know leaves me somewhat speechless. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's just so absurd you can't even comment on it. That yeah. when you think of clericalism, you you think of priests in in very fancy cassocks and berettas uh, walking around saying their breviaries or rosaries, and you know not having anything to do with the people, not trying to help them in any way, or to 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 you know that all they are is wrapped up in themselves. That that's that's you know what you think of when you think of clericalism. And, uh, but this is just another code word for uh, for Bergoglio. Uh, that is, uh, you know, priests that have any kind of sense of the Catholic faith. They're 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 clericals or they're clericalists. And but it's just not true. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, I've heard so many stories from Bishop Dolan, who who has been going there for twenty twenty five years, uh, many times a year. I mean, the, the stories back. I remember he told me that in the typical town where you say mass and you know this is his mass he says there are there's like a, a front pew of people who are practicing catholics uh, that is maybe you know 10 15 people who actually obey the rules go to holy communion go to confession he said the rest of the people and the whole church is filled a big church are they never approach the communion rail and they're only in it for the the festivity of it and that an awful lot of them are mixing uh, Roman Catholicism with their ancient Aztec gods and, and various other pagan over, you know, uh, hangovers, uh, that this is probably 90 or 95 percent of Mexican Catholicism. This is not what you'd call popular piety. <laughs> there is no popular piety. <laughs> There's popular festivity. You know, it's anything for a parade uh, and and uh, fireworks and all of those things. I mean, they'll come out for those things. They'll come out for the for the festivities. But they, you know, according to eyewitness testimony from Bishop Dolan, uh, there there is uh, there is no popular piety in the sense of you know people uh, who have the Catholic faith and are practicing the Catholic faith. I mean, there's very very little of it. And and uh, the, the, that uh, situation is is one that has uh, developed increasingly since Vatican II. You had that at least in Mexican Catholicism in the rural areas. You had uh, you know you you had that element that the church tried to uh, tried to fight against all the time. If you read the different uh, the histories of the church in Mexico, you see that uh, the, the um, uh, clergy uh, were uh, trained and, and, and uh, very dedicated to uh, combat all of those false ideas. But now, since the Second Vatican Council, since since everything is since uh, non-Christian religions are uh, means of salvation, uh, that. Uh, all of this, this uh, superstition is is allowed and, and comes once again to the fore. So mm-hmm. the the problem is not clericalism. The problem is is Vatican too. Mm-hmm. You know, even in Christian Catholic Europe, uh, we don't realize that the the clergy had a fight against a lot of that in the among the barbarians. It took uh, many many years, many decades, perhaps centuries in certain cases. To totally Catholicize the barbarians, who also, you know, had one eye back on their their old ways, uh, and uh, and to convince the barbarians not to be cruel, you know, there, there was a, a streak of cruelty in those barbarians, and it took a long time for the Catholic faith 
uh, and its gentleness uh, and charity to, to sink into them. Uh, the, the ancient Germans, for example, had the practice, if the man of the house should die, that they would put to death the wife and the dogs and then burn them all on a pyre. Uh, because, you know, what good is a wife and dogs if you don't <laughs> show the man around? So they would just kill them all. That that was something that the church had to face. Uh, so, you know, the, the uh, faith is relatively young in the Americas, and, uh, you know, it takes a while to, to pull those things out. But it was especially difficult among the Indians in, in those lands to to get them to realize that they had to make an about-face with regard to their paganism and to embrace Catholicism completely. Uh, but now the, it, that, that whole effort has been destroyed by Vatican II. As one of the, the as an example of uh, resistance to uh, clericalism that Bergoglio might not approve of, happened after the Second Vatican Council in one of the, uh, in fact, one of the churches that uh, our priests ended up uh, taking over and, and serving down there, that the uh, laity in the church were uh, a number of them were very educated and then wanted no part of the revised liturgy. So the bishop of the area was a uh, known as a particular radical was uh, Mendez Arceo. And if you lived through the changes in the 60s, you would hear that he, he was one of the premier leftist bishops. Well, he uh, came to this particular church to uh, instruct the people to give them orders that uh, either you have to have this new form of religion. And they became so angry that uh, they uh, grabbed him and they put rope under his arms and uh, threw the rope over a rafter and started to lift him up. And uh, they said to him, unless you leave us alone, you have to agree to leave us alone or we're not going to let you down. <laughs> so <laughs> eventually he, he acceded to it. But um, I don't know if that's kind of the kind of, of anti-clericalism, I would say, that Bergoglio would approve of. <laughs> well, I, th I think all those points are, are well taken, Your Excellency and Father. And yeah, I, I want to use... Just one more, one more point on it. It is that Vatican II is a flop. This is a, a reality that the Vatican II enthusiasts will not face. But it is a flop, and it has not produced well, that's just any of good the media, fruit anywhere. It's just the conspiracy okay. of the media. It's just not right. been mis it's, oh, it's been right. misunderstood. We we haven't yet gotten the real Vatican II. That's what we're waiting for. You know, again, I was asking. I saw an article in the Wanderer a few days ago or or a week ago about how the Diocese of Madison is attracting all of these seminarians. Madison, Wisconsin. Yes. I said to Father Jakarta, you know, what's going on in Madison? He says, oh, they're conservative. The bishop's conservative. And it it just always is true that wherever there is any manifestation of even slight conservatism in the Novus Ordo, some vestiges of the Catholic faith, they get vocations. It's true of the nuns' orders. It's true uh, of seminaries. They draw the vocations. And vice versa, where where you have progressivism and and you know, standard Vatican II fare. Uh, There's virtually nobody. So you know, I, I, it oh, constantly repeats itself. I dare say we we have some Restoration Radio listeners who are inside those uh, uh, seminaries. So we had at least one who is uh, at the seminary in St. Louis, uh, who's a Restoration Radio listener, and uh, they had the traditional mass suppressed. 
and they were just told, you know, to that they were being focused on externals. When some of them had oh, come yeah. to that, they had come to the seminary just because they knew they were going to get access to the traditional mass, not even knowing yeah. that they would get a celebrate to celebrate it one day. Um, and then they were just told that they were focusing on the wrong things when they they got upset that it was suppressed. He, he must have to listen to the Restoration Radio the way the Germans listened to the BBC in World War Two. That is, they would put their ears up to the radio, you know, and keep it very low. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I think I think you're right. I, I want to draw another corollary to, to John the Twenty Third. Everyone had always, and again, I'm saying everyone. As, I'm reading about this historically, not as someone who was around, but this idea that he was a transitional uh, pope uh, within the accommodationist and anti-accommodationist wing. That he was a reaction to Pius the Twelfth, but that he wouldn't be around very long. And this gave him some advantages that were being brought up in this interview um, that was done with Francis in Mexico, three things specifically were listed, mobilizing the base, putting off the opposition, and making the job manageable. Father, can, Father Chicada, can you unpack that a little bit, the advantages of being, being told that you're a, a transitional pope or you're going to have a short papacy? Well, the, the um, uh, idea is that, uh, or w- w- one of the ideas is that this is actually part of Francis's strategy to get more accomplished in a shorter uh, period of time, because he does have a uh, he he does have this this uh, tremendous credibility with uh, so many people as a so-called reformer. So uh, b- by saying I don't have that much time to accomplish this. Uh, the uh, idea, the strategy, is that this will motivate people more to uh, get uh, to get things done. So that, that was uh, uh, one point, an excellent point that John Allen made in his his analysis of the uh, Bergoglio Mexican interview. Uh, the other, uh, the 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 second point. Uh, which is also very good, is uh, uh, putting off the opposition. That if the people in the Vatican who might be inclined to uh, resist any sort of radical changes think, well, uh, this guy isn't going to be around for a long time, let's just um, um, humor him a little and, and wait for better days, the possibility there is, is that... Um, uh, they will not be so inclined to to frustrate uh, what he wants. There's another analysis of of, of Bergoglio and his the the the, the length of his, his so-called uh, uh, reign and and what what his his role would be in the revolution. Is that he is uh, uh, compared by one commentator to uh, John the Twenty Third, and that the the hope of the left is to get someone. Uh, a Paul VI type figure like this uh, Cardinal Tegel from the Philippines, who also has a lot of cred now, who's a younger guy, to really um, put the revolution permanently in place. So that's what we're uh, we're looking at. But I have to say that uh, Bergoglio looks pretty healthy to me, uh, <laughs> and uh, I think he's going to be around for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every revolution needs its Voltaire, its Robespierre, and its Napoleon. And, and, and I, you I would think say John the Twenty Third was Voltaire, Paul the Sixth was Robespierre, and John Paul II was Napoleon. 
So anyway, but so, that's, that's a historical so would this, comment. Would this, make him, would, this, would this make him Louis Napoleon then, Your Excellency? No, I think you know, Francis has started a whole new revolution. The, uh, the, the period of what we might call Vatican II is done. Now it's, uh, it's kind of a Vatican III thing. That they have graduated from Vatican II, um, Vatican II having a certain respect, we might say. Uh, I, you know, I use it very loosely. But uh, uh, for continuity, Francis has absolutely none. He doesn't give a hoot about continuity. Uh, he just sees that, that there has to be a, an overturning of uh, of everything that has has a any sort of uh, a vestige of Catholicism, pre-Vatican II Catholicism in it. He attacks it, and he he tries to overturn it as much as possible. I mean, going after the the very aspects of the natural law, such as you know the the ban on sodomy and and adultery and fornication. Uh, I mean, it appears that those things are going to be approved of it in in his own way, you know, by saying we have to be merciful or you know some other, but effectively approved of uh, in the fall at this synod. And uh, so, uh, now I think it's a whole new era. I think we are post-Vatican II, and this is a new John the Twenty-Third, and we'll see a, a new Paul the Sixth, and and then a new John the John Paul Two. Uh, you know, it, it's to me that's the way. It, it's a it's a complete shift uh, and a whole new era for uh, the the modernists. I think that's a very interesting perspective, you can see. Uh, the fact that uh, I would you're, you're basically saying that Vatican II is almost passe. That it's uh, it that it's a quaint it's a quaint little notion, isn't it? That the organ would have the pride of place. In the liturgy, I mean, what what a quaint little notion that is. We're we're way past that. Also, the the view by Novus Ordo conservatives that Ratzinger is their great hero. I mean, this man was Mister Left Wing Radical in the 1960s, and even during his you know beautiful pontificate, uh, and I use that very loosely. The the uh, I mean, he was the one that said that you could use condoms. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this makes Regalia look good. I mean, the, the, he comes out and says, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I have to remind you of all of that, but that essentially you can use condoms, and which is totally against the church's teaching concerning morality and, and those things, and uh, and yet he survives as the great one for these Novus Ordo conservatives. And, and he denied the resurrection from the dead explicitly, the, the, uh, that people will be reunited to their bodies. He has explicitly denied that. Uh, many other heresies he has declared in, in the course of his quote-unquote cardinalate and, and, and quote-unquote papacy. Uh, yet he remains the, the – he's like the pious twelfth for them. You know, he is the old guard. That's how bad it is that a heretic, a radical – from the 1960s could emerge and because he puts on red shoes and pretty vestments that he can deceive the 5% of the people who who still have some faith left in them and we might say he can deceive them with those things into thinking that he is a great uh you know a great bulwark of the faith and that because he uttered the words hermeneutic of continuity 
that you know that is that is like stake to a hungry dog. Uh, the they they just fall on that and say, well, you know, he believes in the hermeneutic of continuity, and therefore we're saved. Uh, the um, uh, I mean, this is how bad it is. I mean, ninety-five percent, at least in the U.S., you think uh, Bergoglio is great, and and the five percent are are uh, deceived by Ratzinger. I mean, that that is just a <laughs> virtually nothing left, <laughs> you know, except people who still believe in the Catholic faith, which is maybe less than one percent of of people who glory in the name Catholic. It's very bad. Well, I mean, as part of the the continuing assault, uh, I I should probably keep a, a running list of this, uh, Your Excellency and Father, of the the names that that uh, Ber- and and uh, accusations that Bergoglio throws out there: a neo-Pelagian, a rigid, negative theology, etc. If we look at the the latest attacks, what we're looking at across the the month of at the time of broadcast, we're talking about the month of, the month of March 2015. We can look at four things and the coat that is given to these four things. So there's a reference to being rude to adulterers because you're denying them communion. It's very rude. You wouldn't do that in polite society, I suppose. The idea of closing doors, the idea of not condemning people, the idea of putting people on trial, and the coat to all of the remedy to all of these things is to have a year of mercy. And to, and to tee you up, Your Excellency and Father, I'll read the quotes that I'm speaking about. So the rude quote, uh, we can find, if you want to look these up yourself, you can find that on Rorate Chaley. The story uh, was put out in March. Uh, in a reference to an Indian, uh, an Indian bishop, and uh, that is India uh, in the subcontinent. The, the, the quote was, I have heard of so many Catholics being rudely refused Eucharistic communion because they are divorced persons and have remarried. We need to be kind and compassionate in communicating the church doctrine and dogma. We should have polite dialogue with the faithful instead of rudely turning them away. So that is the, the rude issue. Then the idea of closing doors uh, this was a story from the Vatican Insider, and the quote was, Francis said, A man or a woman who feels sick within their soul, sad, who may have committed many mistakes in their life, at a certain point, feel the water stirring, the Holy Spirit move something, or they hear a word, or, quote, I, uh, I would like to go, unquote, and they muster up the courage to go. And how many times does this person find closed doors within the Christian community? You can't. No, you can't. You made a mistake, and you can't. If you want to come, come to Sunday Mass, but stay there and don't do anything. And there you have it. Christians who think like doctors of the law destroy what the Holy Spirit does in people's hearts. Can, uh, the I could idea tell them something they could do on Sunday if they came <laughs> to church. They could go to confession. And they could promise in the confessional to give up the, the false husband or the false wife and live a life of chastity, and then they can get absolution and go to communion. That's so negative. They could do that. Very, this is very, very, very negative. I think I'm a doctor of the law. <laughs> exactly. Uh, along the same lines of, of, of that, Your Excellency, we've got the, the, the trial. Um, again, Francis points out the three women, the saint, the sinner, and the needy woman – all allegorical figures of the church suffer from the lack of mercy. 
and he's referring here to Susanna, an adulterous sinner and a poor widow. Today, too, when God's people come across these judges, they suffer a merciless trial, both in the civil and in the church spheres. Merciless judges like Bishop Sanborn, of course. The remedy to, to this is to come up with the holy year of mercy. And uh, Father Chikot has alluded to this, uh, I think we did this on the last show, that the year of mercy is really just the year of anything goes. So uh, yeah, It's the take, year of sodomy, take, fornication, and adultery. That's what the translation is. Yeah. I, I, you know, your son, Father, I'll just, your Excellency Father, I'll just sit back. Uh, you can take any one of these roads you'd like to, uh, being rude, uh, closing doors in people's faces, uh, uh, putting people on trial, uh, condemning people, and uh, that what we really need is a year of mercy. Well, it all goes in the same direction. And uh, this is, uh, the theme keeps on coming up all the time uh, in these Francis Watch shows. And um, the, the, he, he is so consistent with this uh, that uh, the, uh, every month there are at least a couple of statements that uh, follow this particular theme. And the idea always is that you uh, have forgiveness for sin without true repentance and that it is unmerciful uh, to insist on repentance as a uh, condition for, uh, for forgiveness and for absolution. And that people are to be left in uh, their sins, and that, the, uh, that this somehow is an act of mercy. So it's, 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 a, uh, it's uh, this, this overwhelming theme that uh, that he is pushing, and the end goal of it is to wear down the moral law in hopes of uh, attracting worldly people to the church without uh, worldly people who don't have moral principles to the church uh, without uh, insisting that they repent of their sins. So it's, it's, he, he uh, keeps on sounding this theme, and uh, obviously he is determined to do this, uh, at least as far as the uh, sacraments for the divorced and remarried. I mean, if, if um, uh, you uh, have all of this propaganda uh, painting those who uh, insist on um, uh, observing the, the uh, divine law, when it comes to, uh, to this, you can tell exactly where he's going. Now, I would also characterize it as childish demagoguery. I mean, to compare somebody who is insisting on the moral law, that the moral law be observed, uh, to a doctor of the law like a Pharisee or, or one of these other stupid and, and really childish um, concoctions that he comes up with, uh, it's something insulting to intelligence, but it's demagoguery because he knows that the it will that will ring a bell in people's minds. You know, oh yes, isn't that terrible? You know, and we love each other, and we should be able to go to Holy Communion because we love each other, and the you know our sin should not be held against us for the rest of our lives. It, it's it's fallacy. It, it it is the deliverance of error through. Uh, you know, you'd have to be really either a very bad will or stupid not to understand how childish the, these these comparisons are. But he knows exactly what he's doing. He he knows that he is breaking down the traditional um, morality of the Catholic Church, and he knows exactly how to do it. And he knows 
how to please the media. He's the darling of the media, and he knows how to please liberals. And and he he's doing a great job of all of that. And uh, his opposition is virtually none. Uh, I I was uh, recently in contact with a priest in Europe who says mass for about twenty or twenty five people. Uh, he's a Novus Ordo priest, but he doesn't say the Novus Ordo. But uh, he's in a diocese, and he says a, a motu proprio mass. And he says that he, when he talks about the errors and heresies of Bergoglio, that the people come back to him and say, "Oh no, no! You know, he's in, he's very orthodox. So they will not permit him or or tolerate his speaking badly about Bergoglio." And so he, there's really no opposition to him. <laughs> there's nothing at all. Not even the Society of St. Pius X will blast him. I mean, what we are doing right now is probably the, the unique <laughs> public voice of, of objection to what he's doing. The Novus Ordo Conservatives have collapsed in front of him, Society of Pius X, and even, I would say, Bishop Williamson, who had a perfect opportunity to blast at his recent uh, consecration of Bishop Four, but you know, issued a very vague and weak uh, reason for the for the consecration. I mean, he should have listed all of the heresies of Bergoglio, all of the heresies of Vatican II. He should have talked for an hour or more why this is a necessary thing to do. I mean, I don't agree with his position, but. You know, I, I, I can understand why he did what he did, but the you know he was in a perfect position. Also, that he is, has the media, as he can summon the media anytime he wants. He he did virtually nothing, and, and uh, in, in you know he he excuses them, uh, the modernists, with his system of mente vacantism, and he recently had a blog reiterating that that these people are incapable of knowing error or, or incapable of heresy because they're liberals and they cannot wrap their minds about uh, around any idea of a, a fixed truth. So therefore they're excused. They're, they, they can't help themselves. It's like they're mentally ill or something. And, and uh, so that, there's virtually no one in his way. And he sees the open road. He sees the paved new freeway and he's he's going to go down at, at 100 miles an hour and that's exactly what he's doing we want to remind our listeners that you are listening to as bishop sanborn said the unique public objection to francis uh, known as francis watch on the restoration radio network i'm your host Stephen heiner and i'm joined by his excellency bishop donald sanborn and father anthony chicada and tonight we've been giving people tips on how to slam doors in people's faces how to, con- how to condemn people, how to be rude, uh, a year of mercy, the significance of a, a short uh, quote-unquote pontificate, uh, Francis being uh, someone who could uh, be sought in a political year. Uh, his popularity is so high, he might be sought out by the, the Democrats and the Republicans. Uh, the idea that Francis represents a, a paradigm shift, and as always, we always deliver on Francis' watch without fail, a new heresy, the fact that uh, you could live a horrible, terrible life, and at the end you can just get annihilated, which I think most people would sign up for. Uh, yes, you know, you know, they... I was going to say that. That's music to the ears of mafiosi and other people who, you know, if, if there is no hell to pay, well, you know, why not just live it up? Eat, drink, and, and be merry. And, right. What, what prevents you from murdering your enemies? 
know, it might it might no... be some mercy. It might be some mercy to them because then they could be <laughs> annihilated sooner. Um, we're going to go a little deeper here. We want to uh, we want to remind you that that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved. Any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. You can, as always, obtain permission quite easily by writing to mail m a i l at truerestoration.org. This is the part of the episode, listeners, if you've been thinking you're hearing the same old, same old, it's true. We follow a formula here on Francis Watch. We, re, we recapitulate all of the, the heresies, and then we usually will address some conservatives who are trying to react to this. And we have a Dr. DeMattei, again, as he did last month, trying to justify things, and uh, these are not things we can answer right away. Um, because they're a bit more complicated. Uh, I'm going to start with the second story first, which was featured on Rurate Chely. Um And this is discussing the Rayemont of Leo XIII. Now, uh, we have shows that deal with this on the network, both Popes Against the Modern Errors and Root of the Rot, but I don't assume that our listeners of Francis Watch necessarily listen to the other shows on the network. So, your Excellency, could you give us a brief summation of what the Rayemont was and then your uh, your take on it? Because traditional priests are divided, at least I know of some priests here in Europe who, who celebrate the traditional Mass, they're non-unicum, but they are a pro-Rayemont. I know that you take a rather dim view of it. Um, could you uh, explain what the Rayemont was? And then I'll allow Father Chikata to explain what DiMattei is saying about it. Yes, a little background on Leo the Thirteenth. Leo the Thirteenth was elected in reaction to Pius the Ninth. Pius the Ninth was somebody who was very negative about the modern world and was very anti. Uh, let's say again, he was against uh, cooperating with it uh, and giving it uh, any kind of. Um, you know, recognition uh, or, or cooperation. Leo XIII was a brilliant man, and uh, he was a man who was very distinct about between theory and practice. His encyclicals are like a textbook of Catholic doctrine uh, concerning all the things that he was talking about, uh, liberalism and Freemasonry and, and the Catholic Church and all, you know, rosary, I mean, just a beautiful collection of Catholic doctrine, uh, and very anti-liberal uh, in his theory. You know, there's not a single thing you could possibly object to in, in his, all of his theory. But in his practice, he, he was someone who wanted, to, wanted the Church to get along with modernity to a certain extent. Uh, unlike Pius IX, and and he had a very long reign from 1878 to 1903. Uh, he he so he was uh, in various ways, and I couldn't go into all the ways here, but in various ways he uh, did some rather shocking things with regard to uh, compromising with modernity. One of those things that would really be very shocking is, is that he permitted Cardinal Gibbon to go to the 1893 uh, Parliament of Religions in Chicago and there to say a, an Our Father with a Buddhist monk publicly. Okay, he, would, he was representing the Catholic Church at the Parliament of Religions. This was permitted by Leo XIII to Cardinal Gibbons. Um, and 
that that's just one example of Leo the Thirteenth. Now he was no ecumenist. He he was you know, he would have been against any kind of theoretical ecumenism, but he had this practical side to him that was quite liberal. Uh, so that's you have to understand that. So in France, the there was uh, something called the Third Republic A- after uh, in the late 1870s. There was organized in France uh, a third attempt at a republic, <laughs> and this was called the Third Republic. It was extremely anti-Catholic. It was full of Freemasons, and extremely anti-Catholic. And so the Catholics were uh, in France were holding to uh, their loyalty to the old monarchy, and would have nothing to do with the Third Republic. And Leo the Thirteenth in 1891 put out an encyclical, I think in French, but in any case, he he said essentially, look, the church is indifferent to form of government, uh, and you should uh, not, uh, you should abandon your idea of of holding to the legitimate monarchy, uh, and uh, become good citizens of the Third Republic and said, you know, sure, there's a lot of bad laws, but nevertheless, it's a legitimate government, and you should just uh, go along with that. Now, what he said in theory was true that the uh, Catholic Church is indifferent to form of government. Uh, it is true that uh, uh, a government can make many bad laws and still be a, a legitimate government. That's all true. But it was taken very badly in France as a type of, well, rally mon. Now, rally to this awful government that you have. That you know, that uh, that your your attachment to the old ways is wrong, and and you need to to become uh, with it in 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 the form of government and in in the whole program of the of the Third Republic. That's the way it was taken. Uh, now, there's discussion as to whether that's what he meant, or that's you know, a false way of taking it. That's where the, the, the discussion revolves around that. There was just exactly how much he meant by it, and you know, the, you know, it, it, there's there's back and forth on that as far as you know his the imp- the prudence of it. Uh, it the uh, so that that's the background. Now, Dr. De Mattei has been doing a number of blogs that have appeared on Rorate. Uh, giving us examples of popes who did imprudent things in the past. And one of them was Pascal II, who permitted lay investiture. That means lay people giving power to bishops uh, without the intervention of the pope. And uh, and the second one that I saw, him, there may have been others, was this thing of the rallyment, that this was obviously an imprudent thing to do. Uh, I was told uh, back at a, at a cone, now this, don't forget those are French people, uh, but that uh, Leo the Thirteenth regretted bitterly his his what he did in France on his deathbed, that that it turned out very badly in France. But in any case, uh, the uh, so these are examples of imprudent things that popes did, and the obvious lesson, if you read the blog, is well, you know, Bergoglio's doing some bad things too, but you know, we shouldn't dump Bergoglio uh, into the state of a Cantus pit uh, just, you know, because he's doing some bad things. Look, you know, these are great popes in the past who were resisted uh, in, in what they were, uh, what they told us to do, resisted by good Catholics 
and uh, therefore we should uh, just you know hold on. Uh, so that that's the lesson that Demotei is trying to convince us of. And it is really an absurd lesson, I have to say. I mean, he's probably a very learned man and means well. But the, the lesson is absurd because none of these, first of all, in, in, in no case has he pointed to someone who has changed the whole Catholic religion. You know, every sacrament and, and Catholic doctrine who says that there's no uh, one God, that the one God is just God spray that doesn't exist. Uh, or, or who now denies hell. Uh, I mean, he's not citing any of that. He is not citing a, a worldwide destruction of the Catholic faith. He is citing some imprudent things that popes have done in a specific area, that is, in, in, a, in a specific region or, or in a specific subject. And they are able to do imprudent things. It doesn't affect doctrine. Uh, they are not infallible uh, or even necessarily wise in their choices that they make. And you could point out many other cases where popes have made some, some pretty bad choices as far as, as uh, what to do. Um, and uh, so the, the analogy falls flat on its face, but it shows that they're worried. It shows that the Novus Ordo conservatives really see Bergoglio as a big, big problem and how they're going to deal with him. Uh, they are worried to sick, I think, about what that synod is going to produce, because you can see that Bergoglio is pushing for the most radical statement from out of that synod in the, in the fall. You so get I, the impression you know, from, from reading uh, Dr. DeMatteis' articles uh, that he is floundering around. Um, mm -hmm. He uh, is... Uh, he had uh, several articles along these lines before. Uh, one of them uh, actually concerned the issue of um, the, the question of a, a heretical pope and the uh, uh, Paul IV bull, uh, cum ex apostolatus officio. And it, you uh, could see in um, uh, Dr. Matei's argument that he's, he's somehow floundering around trying to find uh, some sort of an uh, some sort of an explanation for it and this is uh, the same thing that uh, he's doing in in these two articles the, the one on Pascal the second and the one on uh, Leo the 13th but it doesn't uh, it he is a smart man and if he steps back from it surely he knows it goes beyond uh, simply the question of, of uh, prudential mistakes on the far part of the Roman pontiff when it comes to uh, who's going to appoint uh, bishops in the church, which after all is just a matter of um, ecclesiastical law. It's been done in many ways, uh, many different ways throughout the history of the church. Or on a political question, the question of, of uh, should you go with a republic or not, but it's uh, the analogy does indeed fall flat on its face. You can't find an explanation uh, on this this level. And and also it's a call to resistance. That's going to be the Novus Ordo conservative response to a a bad outcome of the synod, and that is we are going to resist. We already saw it in Cardinal Burke. Uh, that, you know, who backed off of it, uh, you know, when pressed. But nevertheless, he came out with that word, 
so there, there might be a, a necessity to resist, and you'll be like St. Bruno, who resisted Pascal II. You'll be like those great Catholics in France who resisted Leo XIII. And uh, that, that's the message, and, and it's nonsense. Uh, the uh, the yes, can you resist a pope who is doing some harm through a, a, a decision of imprudence to, you know, say, a diocese or something like that? If a pope decided to close all the dia- all the churches in a diocese, uh, yes, that that would be a way in which you could resist the pope uh, who is uh, you know doing doing harm. And I think Saint Robert Bellarmine even spoke about that in a specific way and in a in a, a question of, of, of practical prudence. Uh, you, you could, you know, without any sin, resist something like that. Uh, but we're not talking about that. That's, it's it's uh, apples and oranges. This is faith. This is God spray, you know? I mean, this is, this is uh, whether hell exists. It's just, again, it's childish to talk about these things. In such a way, it's an insult to our intelligence. Tell us about popes who have denied the faith in the past and have imposed upon the whole church their own denial of the faith. Well, let's we'll listen. Okay, we're we're, we're waiting. We'll be we'll, we'll be waiting for a while, I think. <laughs> right. Because that's the analogy. You see, they, some go to the Great Western Schism for analogy. Oh, you know, there was three popes and a. But there's no analogy there because the the problem was a uh, a question of election. It was not a question of faith. There were uh, dubious elections, just like when uh, Bush didn't know whether he was president or not because Florida couldn't figure out how to vote. Uh, there there was a doubtful election. That has nothing to do with the qualifications of the person to serve. And so there is no analogy between the Great Western Schism and what we're facing now. Uh, so the the uh, it, but they they're desperate to find something in the church's past to compare to what is now, so that they can say, well, you know, there's there's really nothing new, and we we've been through this before. But it's all false, and uh, it it just is a waste of, of of you know the in the time of the intellect to even read those things. Well, Father Chicago, Bishop Sanborn alluded to Pascal the Pascal the Second and Saint um, Bruno. Can you fill in the blanks a little bit for our listeners on that point? Well, it, the um, issue basically was this: that, that how uh, how are bishops to be appointed to their different offices? And the the uh, predecessors of um, Pascal the Second had been. Um, uh, firm and insisting that no, this was this was this was a function. This was the right of the church and not of the civil rulers, not of the civil government. But uh, Pascal II was um, uh, pressured by the emperor at that time and uh, decided to give in on this particular point to the emperor. And he uh, was resisted in the sense he took a lot of flack from different members of the clergy. In, including Saint Bruno of Segni, uh, saying that uh, uh, you know this this is uh, something that is against what popes have done previously, uh, and uh, uh, you should not do it. But even with that sketchy an outline of uh, the situation at that time and, and, and what the issue was, it's it was purely a question of. Um, uh, the uh, of ecclesiastical law, 
it wasn't a question of of uh, uh, of divine law. The issue of how bishops are going to be appointed, uh, there there is uh, there were a number of different ways in which that was done uh, in history. And Saint Bruno objected to the course that um, Pascal II had chosen. Okay, fine. But you can't make an analogy uh, between that, which is merely a question of ecclesiastical law, and what Bergoglio is doing, uh, denying hell. Because you're, it, it's uh, two absolutely uh, different levels. So the um, uh, analogy, uh, you know, not only limps, but it can't even get out of bed for this one. <laughs> Well, I mean, have mercy, Father. Have mercy. <laughs> yeah, Pius uh, VII did this. He conceded the same thing to Napoleon. Yeah. Oh. You know, there, there's uh, under pressure. You know, and uh, but uh, the uh, it, it's just no analogy. It has nothing to do with it. it it's just a, a bad decision on the part of a pope concerning uh, a point of ecclesiastical law. The the you know the, the faith denying the Trinity the, denying hell the, uh, all of the other things that he has said and done that are are so blatantly heretical I mean there's no no comparison at all it's, it's just not really worth talking about but it does well, show they're desperate they are desperate um, to uh, to find an explanation there was. Uh, uh, an article in a German magazine from a, a Monsignor who said that uh, uh, because Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ, essentially, uh, he can act up and, and uh, you know say all of these things and and do things that are, are uh, not very good because it shows the difference between Christ and the, and his vicar. Well, it doesn't matter because you're going to get annihilated at the end anyway. So, I mean, I mean, forget about who is he to judge. I mean, who is he to care anymore? Right, right, right. All of the bad people are just going to be annihilated anyway. So. Well, when you get rid of hell, these, these final three news items seem almost trivial, but I think that they are important for us to talk about. Uh, the first is the announcement that Oscar Romero – is to be beatified on May the 23rd. Sort of a quick fire. Uh, this is the lightning round, Your Excellency and Father. Uh, reactions. Oscar Romero to be beatified. Typical uh, leftist, the leftist type that Bergoglio uh, would have liked. And as usual, dispensing with any notion of miracles, whatever miracles would, would uh, pass for such in the, the post Vatican II Church. Uh, the uh, what Romero was known for was his his uh, uh, political stance, uh, rather than uh, so rather than being a martyr for the faith in any way, shape, or form, he was a, a martyr for his political stance. If you if you want to talk that way, but the, the people who um, uh, discussed this uh, uh, particular issue were in favor of it. The cardinal who announced his uh, imminent beatification, said that, uh, well, he was a martyr of the Church of the Second Vatican Council. So the, that's a good thing, uh, I guess. And uh, at least we Is know that, that because he... the people who shot him were, were traditionalists? I mean, were they on their knees at the traditional mass <laughs> with rosaries? Is that, <laughs> Is that the idea? 
<laughs> I, I don't think so, but at least we know that Oscar Romero's not been annihilated. <laughs> I don't well, know. He, Maybe he can be brought back from annihilation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, if I, only I, they had used the strategy of shutting the doors on those people, then they may not have gotten in to shoot him in the first place. <laughs> that's right. So it's, um, it's, it's crazy. The the next newslet item, the death penalty is inadmissible, and we get this uh, coming out of the Vatican News Service. The quote is, Nowadays, the death penalty is inadmissible, no matter how serious the crime committed. It is an offense against the inviolability of life and the dignity of the human person. Man, I hate that phrase. Which contradicts God's plan for man and society and his merciful justice and impedes the penalty from fulfilling any just objective. It does not render justice to the victims, but rather fosters vengeance. Again, reactions, Your Excellency, Father, the death penalty is inadmissible. Oh, it's defended by all uh, moral theologians. It's contained in sacred scripture. I mean, what about the command of Moses to to stone <laughs> the people to death for adultery, for example, or the for heresy, for blasphemy? They wanted to stone our Lord for blasphemy. That was part of the Mosaic law. So he would have to say that God... Uh, uh, approved of something in the Mosaic Law that was contrary to the dignity of the human person, which of course would be the most horrible thing you could do. Uh, and uh, so God was wrong when he, he imposed those things. Uh, and uh, But, you know, the, the Catholic Church has always approved of capital punishment uh, and has used it. Uh, Pope Pius IX himself uh, assisted at uh, the beheadings of, of uh, people who were criminals when he was the king of the papal states. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, there were people uh, put to death by uh, papal police and papal uh, members of the papal army in the 1830s, 1840s for rising up against the pope. So you know, you'd have to again. It's it's trashing all of Catholic tradition. It's it's uh, it has it has always been defended as a legitimate thing to do. It's based in sacred scripture. And uh, trashing Catholic tradition, and uh, in the meantime, also appealing to the left, because you get points with the media for saying things like this, that the death penalty is, is uh, inadmissible. Uh, you know, who cares what St. Thomas Aquinas or any of the, the uh, church's theologians have said about it. But it, it, it appeals to the, um, uh, uh, the, the, the political program of uh, the left. So he gets points for doing that. And the death penalty has always been a deterrent to crime. Going to the electric chair has always been very much feared, or the gas chamber, or now in Utah, the, the uh, firing squad has been a, something very, very fearful for, for criminals. Uh, and But to be you know, locked up forever in a, in a comfy uh, prison uh, on taxpayer money uh, you know, maybe the Vatican would like to help these various nations giving up the death penalty. To, you know, maybe they can hand out the money that is necessary to keep these people going for 50 years or more uh, in one of these prisons. I mean, well, I it costs a tremendous amount of money to keep these people alive. You know, and, uh, and uh, no, the, it's, it's just uh, just one more collapse. <laughs> One more way uh, in which uh, Catholic doctrine is being denied. That's all. The the last news item 
uh, comes from Bergoglio channeling Paul VI. So when Paul VI said that the United Nations was the last best hope of mankind, Bergoglio has now made his own contribution to out this uh, similar type of outlandish statement. Uh, there was a Angelus address on March 22nd. Um, which he noted March the 22nd is a commemoration of World Water Day, uh, a holiday of the United Nations. And he said, remember that on water depends the future of humanity. What what do you you think about that, Your Excellency, Father? Well, let me offer as a point for meditation for the seminarians tomorrow. (laughs) On water depends the future of humanity. Well, we're in good shape because there's plenty of it in Florida. Oh, great. <laughs> and so uh, so humanity will still be alive in Florida. It's just one of those other stupid themes of uh, liberal humanity to unite the world on a on some sort of perceived problem. Uh, you know, that, like the global warming, which you know is absurd, and and then now you know water. We're not going to have any water, and uh, so uh, it, it's a way in which to unite the planet uh, ultimately into one world government and one world religion. Uh, and he is uh, making a religion of ecology, which everyone would agree about, or at least liberals. And which are most people on the planet, and uh, so uh, it's uh, that's all it is. It's, uh, you know, and you need an United Nations in order to regulate who gets what water, uh, obviously. And so it, it empowers the United Nations, which, by the way, has been so wonderful in the past almost what is it like 70 years in really uh, keeping the peace. You know, it's been a you know it really has paid for itself. Uh, in in keeping peace in the world and solving problems, uh, we just should say, say that as a footnote. Uh, uh, it, it is the most useless organization probably that human beings have ever concocted, and uh, you know it just it should be shut down and, and, and that that building should be used for you know, like a file drawer or storage or something like that. Well, it looks like a file storage drawer, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it was the original file drawer building. I mean, it was built in 1947 or 8, and it was the the uh, original file drawer style that, that came, became so popular during the 50s and 60s. They're, they're sort of getting away from that now, but uh, they, that, was, that was a big file drawer. Yeah. So that's my comment. But, you know, you Bergoglio, anything, you, you don't... can see the coming of the Antichrist in Bergoglio. He is so popular. Uh, and... You 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 get a, a funny feeling that that some somebody like him with with the same kind of qualities could organize the world both on the level of religion and the level of politics. All it would need would be some great crisis to avert. And you know, with Russia acting up, and uh, not that I you know, but I won't get into that, but uh, with Russia looking at its Soviet past as its you know great golden days and uh trying to look to to korea and china for friendship and and vietnam uh you know you could see something brewing uh you could you could see it and, and where somebody steps in at the end some great personage like that and uh i don't know maybe i'm looking too much into it but his popularity is is uh is menacing 
that, that people are flocking to him without any any reference at all to doctrine just flocking to him because he's he's a candy man uh he's he's giving out to humanity every single thing that it wants Father Chicago, do you have anything to add to our file drawer there before we close that out? <laughs> That's under Antichrist. Yes, it's A is for Antichrist. <laughs> the um, uh, it is uh, more of the same. The revolution, uh, the Francis Revolution, simply continues. No dogma. Uh, the uh, substitution of a false notion of mercy for moral principles, and it's um, uh, it's a pity that uh, more uh, Catholics don't recognize what is really going on. But there's, I think, a great deal of uh, self-deception going on that uh, uh, when when faced with the obvious problem of what Francis is is doing and saying and where he's leading everyone. So uh, one hopes that uh, more people would come to their senses uh, about the type of threat that he represents to the Catholic faith. They'll have to do some more eye-rolling, I think. I think so. Uh, just keep those eyes rolling. <laughs> I, 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 you're right. So that sounds like that sounds like part of a penance that after confession. You must you must roll your eyes many times. Right? I actually hurt me after a while. Um, you know, they might get the, stuck. <laughs> this is the uh, final episode for uh, the first quarter of Restoration Radio. We will be going on break uh, starting this this Sunday. So just after this broadcast will air, we'll be on break from Palm Sunday to Low Sunday. So there won't be any restoration radio, so I'm going to urge you to um, to focus on SGG and sggresources.org. And Father Chicada, can you tell them what they will find there uh, apart from the real Holy Week as opposed to the Novus Ordo Holy Week? Well, uh, what you'll find there is you'll find the webcast of the Real Holy Week. Uh, we uh, publish our uh, schedule of Holy Week services in the Church Bulletin. We will be trying to um, uh, webcast all of the major services so you can watch or uh, l- listen in. And you can find uh, also a, a, a way now on the um, uh, on our site to donate uh, Easter Lily Memorials and as well to enroll uh, yourself or loved ones in our Eastern Advena of Masses, uh, High Masses, which you can also watch on sggresources.org. Um, and you can also hear the um, uh, the new organ. We'll be using the trumpet stops on that for the first time on Holy Saturday morning to herald the Gloria. So you can listen so you for that. Get, uh, uh, earplugs. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, I would just like to part with with one more quote about hell from Pope Pelagius the first, who was a fairly early pope. If we have time, do we have time? Mm-hmm. We 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 do. Yes. He said, "The wicked, however, remaining by choice of their own, with vessels of wrath, uh, fit for destruction." That's uh, from Saint Paul, who either did not know the way of the Lord or knowing it, left it when seized by various transgressions. He will give over, meaning God, by a very just judgment to the punishment of eternal and inextinguishable fire that they may burn without end. It doesn't get any clearer than that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, that's just because you don't have the right horizon. 
Father. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no yeah, change there's... here. You, you you need to look at it from a different perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got we're going to have webcasts and ceremonies there. So, and I want to uh, Father might not mention this, but th- there is a cost involved with broadcasting those. So make sure that as part of uh, watching those, that you make sure to give generously um, to the uh, the program that that webcasts those, and that's available again on SCG resources. You can even set up a monthly donation if you'd like. Um, I don't think you'll be doing any webcasting, but you'll the seminarian should have a pretty busy week, right, Your Excellency? Yes, they will. Uh, Holy Week is always uh, uh, very, very busy. Uh, it's a beautiful week, but there's a lot of work. They stay up late. Uh, there's things to polish, and you know everything has to uh, be perfect. And uh, and I have to bless the oils. Bishop Dolan uh, gave me the <laughs> years ago, a few years ago, the job of blessing the oils, which is a big ceremony. And uh, so. Um, Yes, and they just ha- are, are finishing their exam week, so they're they're having a hard two weeks. Uh, they'll be happy to to when Easter arrives, and they can relax a little bit. So they're they're looking to be purged, uh, but not necessarily annihilated as they go through <laughs> yes. these, these next two yes. weeks. Yes. And I, yes. well, I, I some of them might accept annihilation on uh, one of those <laughs> nights. <laughs> um, well, uh, two years ago this month, we did the show. Uh, the flagship show uh, that was after the election of Francis. So we are here two years later, and I, I'm going to close this episode, uh, Your Heavenly Father, by asking you just one point of reflection from two years ago. Is there anything that, that you can think, if you went back to two years ago when we did that first episode on this gentleman who up to this point really nobody knew about, except people maybe in South America or, or among the, the Vatican watchers, you know, what's this this one point of reflection whenever you deal with Novus Ordos, et cetera, that you feel is an important point to bring out? Or, or have, we, have we covered that all ad infinitum today? I think from the beginning, um, we certainly recognized uh, in Francis the um, embodiment of the Vatican II revolution. And that was something that was uh, clear to us right from the beginning having dealt with people like him, and he uh, certainly hasn't disappointed as far as that prediction goes. Yes, yes. We, we knew him to be a radical, uh, and he has delivered. Well, I think that, that says it all. Uh, Your Excellency Father, we wish you a good end to Passion Tide and a good Holy Week, and we look forward to continuing on with you uh, on the other side of our season break and on the other side of this liturgical season. Thanks so much, for, as always, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. We want to remind our listeners that if you have any questions for His Excellency or Father, you can email us, FrancisWatch at TrueRestoration.org, to clarify anything or to ask if anything can be covered in future episodes. Uh, we also want to remind you that all of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.